Call Steve Witherup. Calling Steve Witherup. Mobile. Hey. Hey, man. Oh, man. Uh, are you are you seated Indian style again? <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually in a chair. I I hesitated to admit that and I almost <laughs> lied just to keep my street cred up. But um, I mean, it's, no, I'm in a chair. It's interesting that you uh, you don't care about the way our bodies were naturally supposed to sit. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I prefer I prefer the comfort of an office chair today. I am uh I'm doing the extremely natural thing of sitting on an exercise ball praying to God that the weight limit is true. <laughs> because I feel like if this did pop, whatever sound it created, I would be forced to keep that in the podcast without question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what's happening on the farm today? Well, I, I actually had to fix a, um, one of our, our older van at, at, but anyway, so I was, I I really thought that was going to be fixing animal, like spay neuter kind of thing. No. Although we do that with rubber bands. (sighs) Yeah. I just, I can't even, I can't, I can't even comment. Yeah. Um, so I was, I had to go buy a part at, uh, auto store and have you ever had this happen? Like I was reminded today how much it is valuable to people that other people think highly of them, like in, but in, in harmless, subtle ways, because I, I was paying for the part that I needed and the guy was like, and he's like, Oh man, tired. And it's like, oh yeah, long day. And he's like, yeah. And then he gave the time that he was there. And he's like, yeah, I think I was here at seven forty-five and got another hour or so. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, but I mean, it's the price you pay when they make you manager. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's where that was going. You know, that's 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 yeah. the only thing you wanted to do. Like, I walked up to the counter. You might as well have just said. Hey, 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 guess what? Guess what? They may be manager, you know? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's probably a million ways that we all do that, but I think that I love it when it's really, really obvious. Oh, my goodness. I just remembered this, and I may have – I don't remember if I've ever told this, but I was also buying something at another store one time, like, like, you know, construction material, that kind of stuff. And this guy behind the counter goes to me like – Hey man, you look like Mark Marin. And I don't, you know, <laughs> right? like I I have glasses and brown hair or whatever. And that's it. That's the only correlation. And I was like, "Oh, really? I never heard that before." He's like, "Yeah. Man, I actually used to work with him." <laughs> <laughs> like it dawned on him after the fact like, "Yeah. You know what? Actually, pretend- now that I mentioned Mark Marin, Strange. I actually used to work with him. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I promise you that everybody that wears glasses and brown hair that have walked in that store has heard that. There's absolutely you know? no question. And the people 
the people that respond, who? He is so yeah. bummed out for hours. Right. I I found something today, and I've never really vocalized it, but that that irritates me at 100 out of 100. Have you ever talked to somebody, I think you mentioning uh, being at AutoZone or whatever, reminded me. Do you know the kind of person that refers to cars, um, various objects that they own with personal pronouns as like, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's been running good for the last few years. And you know, we got her fixed up of couple, And I'm like, you're, you're talking about a Tahoe. Like it's a car. <laughs> and it's also strange that you pick feminine pronouns as if you own, it's like, dude, what are you talking about? People do it about right. guitars. People do it about cars. It's like, it bums me out, man. It, I hate it. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, and what's funny is it's normally, uh, I don't know, not stereotype or whatever, but it's normally someone that uh, you would be surprised that they show affection to anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 yeah. The guy that like beats the snot out of his kids, but then he's like, oh man, I just, you know, you got to really love her talking about his like Porsche. And you're like, dude. Right. How about love your family, you weirdo? Yeah. Strange. I uh, I don't know why I thought about that, but uh, should we read Matthew? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, no one would ever be able to accuse us of scripting no. these beginnings. No, 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 no. Just feels a little contrived. Yeah, yeah. Are you reading a teleprompter? <laughs> Your pacing is too good. Um, all right. Matthew 21, 23 to 32. When he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you will tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd. For all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. I I don't know. I've obviously read all the Gospels a, a million times or whatever. Um, I don't know that I've ever read this and not 
just read it and skimmed past it. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever read this passage and really sat and thought about it. And I know that I've never preached a sermon on it, but it's, it's really interesting. It definitely is. And you're, you're probably for the majority where it's not really one that just grabs your attention um, and, and draws you in. But like you though, I have thought about this more this week than probably ever before and um i've got a whole new appreciation for it and i i i really i really love this especially the the beginning part like what leads into the parable i think is is just um so revealing you know because look what look what's happening so jesus is uh, talking with the um the leading priest the chief priest and the elders um and they asked him a question basically wanting to know you know what what gives him the authority like um, to do these things and so he challenged them with a specific question about the baptism of john um and they they talked among themselves and they didn't know how to answer because they said if we say that it's from from heaven then you know they'll wonder why we didn't believe it but then also if we say that it's uh, not under the authority of heaven, then um, some in the crowd would, you know, basically say the word blasphemy. Because they regarded John as a prophet. Right. They held him in a high regard, and so that they were um, not doing the same. And so the, the thing that strikes me is how concerned they were about just simply saying the right thing. Like it's it's almost too easy. It it almost seems like, um, you know, like we're just taking the obvious route with this by, you know, by attaching that to today's culture. But it's like, my goodness, that is just so present within this reality that we're all experiencing right now. Like, there's this, there's this. Um, Almost like this, and, and I know, so this is going to sound bad in many ways, but there's almost an overvaluing of what you say as opposed to how it is that you're actually performing your life. Yeah, well, and the ways in which you articulate what you believe or something, like whatever whatever language is being enforced on how, how you uh, – vocalize something or how you say you believe something is there's a huge importance placed on it and so yeah it isn't it isn't hard to to understand that conversation of like how do we how do we answer this question and and not put ourselves in a corner i guess yeah i mean you would see this type of conversation happening all over the place right now it's it's basically so what do you think of subject X? And, you know, and basically the person who's asking that question is proposing that there's only two sets of vocabulary that you are able to use in order to answer that question. And the set of vocabulary that you use to, to answer that determines which camp you are in, regardless of, of how it is that you're actually expressing your life. But, that you know, as long as you're using the right words, I can count you as a member of my 
my tribe or my my category of of belief. Um, and so Jesus challenges this, and he reveals back to them what they are doing to him. Right. And I love the way that Jesus ends it, where when he says, "Well, then I'm not going to tell you either." Part of me is just it almost translates that as um, th- that's not important. Just watch what I'm doing. Like, like observe, observe how it is that I am bringing this world and judge that, you know, don't, don't base your, your, your judgments on me on, on how I answer your question of whose authority it is. Like, it's, it's just not valuable in comparison to the actual way that Jesus is living his life. Yeah. And I, I guess one of the reasons I've read past this is because it feels like the first part and then the parable don't seem to have anything to do with one another, but through this lens, like the parable that he tells is extremely important to what he just said in illustrating what he's trying to get at. Yeah. And so in the way, the way that Jesus ends it by saying, you know, which of the two sons actually does the will of the father, the one said he was going to do something, the one that, the, the one that used the right language, right. You know, or the one that actually embodied the will of the father. And, you know, the answer I think is obvious. And, but what Jesus is also not doing is saying that these are your only two options. Like Mm -hmm. obviously to live in a place where your speech and your, the way that you articulate your belief, um, when it lines up with the way in which you embody that belief, that is, is where you would prefer to be. But ultimately, like, you know, if I came up to you and demanded a three-paragraph creed on your belief as being a father and somehow strangely value that above the way in which you interact with Zeke and Maggie, I mean, that's – that. I mean, that's a, maybe an over-exaggerated example, but it's like it's so – true to me like i if i just watch the way in which you express your fatherhood to your children i don't need a 10 point mission statement yeah right yeah like are you being a father that cultivates life and expresses grace and love and you know or are you a father who doesn't i mean i i can witness it by being a part of of your life and, and just seeing the way in which you bring a certain belief into existence. Yeah. It's a stupid example, but it's like, if, if somebody has a really defined, uh, theology of creation or of, uh, of nature, animals in particular, and they can tell you all these beautiful things about how the image of God is, even found in creatures and creaturely things and all this kind of stuff. Um, but like they treat their animals like crap or they, they, uh, you know, they, they don't ever do anything to, uh, to help hurting animals. But then there's somebody that like can't articulate any of that may even have a low view of creation or something, but they, uh, you know, 
they have an animal shelter where they save a thousand animals a month or something. It's like, well, which one is actually really cares more about animals? You're absolutely right. Or even, you know, to take that example to an even more subtle place, it's like, I think that there's a growing awareness of our need to love creation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, but a lot of that is just simply, you know, hiking to a mountain and sitting down and <laughs> right, you know, and uh, just observing, appreciating and, in some way, abstractly. Right. When you know the maybe the the behavior is contributing to the total depletion of our our soils that are you know we're actually destroying it while we're appreciating it. That so <laughs> yeah right yeah it's it's how how are we engaging with all of this? Like is it, it's just ultimately the question. And of course we're, again, we're not saying belief is not important. And there are other places, you know, where, you know, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and all it speech is, is extremely important. And, and we could talk a whole separate podcast on that, but in this portion and then this interaction that Jesus has, with these elders that leads into this parable, part of what he's saying is just like the way that we give flesh and blood to this is a little more important than just simply having all the right creeds memorized. Certainly. And, and like you said, it's not that words are not important. Like I was just talking to somebody earlier today telling like how important it is that they frame something in the right way. And because a frame for something gives, uh, you know, it, it limits the total potential outcomes of where the thought leads. You know, if you frame something wrong, it, it, you, you really need to start over with the framing process and not try to work within that to find your way out. So sure. I, I do of course agree with that, but, um, yeah, there is, there is, you know, Jesus says that, tax collectors and prostitutes are going to enter the kingdom before uh, these folks or whatever. And it, it just means that, that the way um, the way people live into this energy of the kingdom of God or live in this reality or however you want to articulate it is so much different than we would think. The rules are different. The, the whole rubric is, is so much different than we would have imagined. Right. I remember, I remember, you know, being young and in a church group and we were at this like youth camp type thing. And there's a large group of us. And after one of the, you know, the, the big services and everything, there was like just this weird kind of pressure going around within the large group of us of like, you know, did you, did you say the sinner's prayer? Did you say the sinner's prayer? Did you, right. you know, and we've all experienced that to, in some degree. And believe me, I'm not making light of, of that, but, but what I am kind of getting at is like, if you understand this Christian faith to be just simply getting someone to say the right thing, we are deeply mistaken about, what this is all about and we can't live in a place where we are looking to that 
as the litmus test in a sense as to your your faith or your your spiritual um engagement with god like like is he saying the right things is he is he talking about um you know your atonement theology in the right way are you talking about ecclesiology in the right way like it it's just it's bigger than that and it's so much more beautiful than that yeah we were we were driving to charleston a couple of weeks ago and there were like two or three billboards back to back to back that uh that had the sinner's prayer written out on them and it it was so clearly like we're going to trick people into saying the sinner's prayer because you can't see something and not read it, you know? Right. And, you know, without going into all the ways that I think that that's, you know, ridiculous or whatever, uh, I, there is something that's so much more beautiful than just trying to get people to certainly say, right, say the right things or even to think the right things, you know, as if it all is this thing that lives in our minds and we need to, organize things correctly like people that are really intensely focused on trying to get people to uh to say the right things about how you view scripture and inerrancy and all these things and there's so much time and effort conversation energy put into getting people to say the right things under the guise of orthodoxy or whatever they want to say and the like pulsating thing that's in the text in every text, it feels like is like the the guy that said he's not going to go into the vineyard and work, but then ends up going like he, he's the one that did the will of the father. And so tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom before pious people. And it, I can't help but look around in the world that we live in right now. Society is as a whole and think about all of the people that are embodying the message, the life, the energy of Jesus that are almost certainly on the outside looking in of faith because of the language barriers that we've put into this, like the the people that we um, keep outside of the camp because of whatever. Yeah, it's it's as though sometimes language is the thing that binds the presence of Christ from from spreading or it contains or confines right the and I'm I'm saying that's the way that we we view it um but as though God has to work within our constructs of who is in who's out who who gets to do God's work or who who doesn't it it has to be so much bigger than that how does salvation find its way into the world? That's what's got that. That's what God's interested in. I mean, that's ultimately the work of Christ to bring. That's the will of the Father to bring salvation into into the world. I think all of it plays into the Philippians chapter two text um, in a really kind of important way. So. Let me let me read that text. Yeah, it's yeah, it I love the the pairing of these two because it's not 
it's not obvious how they would overlap, but if you really think through it, um, there's a there's a wonderful overlap. Yeah, it's included in the lectionary today for a reason, and uh, maybe not immediately apparent, but I think it certainly fits. So Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 13. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who's at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I don't always pay a lot of attention maybe to the titles over that a lot of Bibles put over the chapters, you know. Right. Um, but as I saw this one here it's a little bit striking because that passage a lot of times is the main thing that is it is used for is to argue for the proof that jesus was god right you like that's the line that we go to and just so we use this philippians 2 as a way to see look here paul thought jesus was god um but but the title isn't you know here's your proof for Jesus being God is have the attitude of Christ. Like you, the person who's reading this, have the attitude of Christ. And, and so with that lens and, you know, that understanding, we, when we read this, like, this is about, this is about incarnation. Like this is about God being fully embodied, being a fully embodied present, presence in the world and that's what makes healing possible i was reading this essay on exodus the other day and the simple line if you remember the israelites cried out to god and uh god heard and then um that's what kind of sparked the whole chain of of events but just this one simple line that uh, just really stood out to me. It just simply said, the divine involvement in pain is what makes redemption possible. Yeah. And so it's not, it's not the right, it's not the right theology of suffering, or it's not the right um, answer to the question, why do good things happen to bad people? Or wait, yeah, why do good, good things happen to bad people or the opposite of that? Or, yeah, or right. Anything. Like, the divine, like if if God's heart is for the salvation of the world, then 
then God had no other option than to become incarnate and to not just say the right things, but to actually embody all that we know God to be, the love, the grace, the involvement, the presence with the suffering, the presence with the pain of the world. And it's only through through that, the divine presence, that redemption is possible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've I've said it in a couple of different settings recently, but when Jesus opens the scroll of Isaiah and starts to read in the temple, he's spirit of the Lord's upon me to bring good news to the poor, to set the captives free. You know, it it's not some disembodied thing. It's it's not. I came so that uh, I could get everyone to think more rightly. You know, in terms of, uh, I could get everyone to think rightly about God or like some disembodied kind of esoteric thing. It's, it is a very embodied thing. And so I I do, I love what you're saying about Philippians, about what the lead into that is and how it's calling us not, not to just worship a Jesus who, uh, you know, took on the form of a servant, made himself nothing. And because of that, God exalted him. So we exalt Jesus and we can worship Jesus. It's have the same mindset, have, have do basically do likewise. You too become the form of a servant. You, you know, take on humility. You do all of these things. I mean, the point of it isn't just to simply, you know, paint Jesus in the picture of being the most humble person. And then, so we should then also be, humble in a way that is just like you know oh shucks well (laughs) no it's like no to be humble in the way that christ was was to get your hands as dirty as possible take on the form of a servant yes and 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 bring about and be about the work of genuine salvation and so going back to your you know what you brought up initially as far as like even just with creation and that sort of stuff it's like you know if G, like it takes hands in literal dirt to bring about redemption into soil yeah. you know it can't just simply be this better understanding in a classroom of yeah. what it takes to to create a higher level of fertility in soil hands need to be dirty and and interaction needs to happen and so it takes humility to engage in the work of salvation and that's exactly what what jesus embodied and modeled and that's exactly what paul is calling us to do and that you know and that speaks directly back to to jesus's parable that that he gave it's like what kind of god would god be had God just simply said the right thing but remained distant. Yeah. Like we we worship this God and we follow this God who not only said the right things, you know, or, or gave verbal judgments against the world, but but through becoming present to the suffering, to the pain, to all that is broken, offers paths to healing and reconciliation. Yeah, I mean, so so much of our effort is, I, I know, as of late, is like making sure we're the kind of people that say the right things and articulate things well, and 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 some of that's important, and you know, 
effort in that direction is not totally misguided, but if it's not set within the context of getting our hands and feet dirty and being physically present in ways that are helpful in the world, then it's, it's largely useless or at least it's almost useless. And so I don't know the call for me, not, not to keep bringing it back to the, uh, just to the earth thing, but Chelsea and I watched this documentary the other night about, uh, you know, topsoil erosion and uh, deforestation, all this stuff that you always are talking about, Steve. And they had this guy that was a farmer on there that he, he like transitioned his entire farm to, you know, this perfect way of doing it that is so much better for the earth and the animals and all that. But I, I told you, I think that we had the guy that came through the shop the other day that had a chicken farm. He was just a old Southern dude and, uh, you know, he couldn't tell you hardly anything about why this is good for the earth. Or it, I don't even know if he would be on the right side of this stuff in terms of like whether it was politically or whatever. But he transitioned his entire chicken farm to organic farming. And he just talked about the health of the chickens. He talked about the health of the eggs and what they were producing and how there used to be hundreds and hundreds every batch of uh, chickens that came in that would be dead and the chickens look sickly and now they look so much better and the eggs are so much more healthy and whatever. It's like, I, I choose that guy over, you know, the, the guy that says all the right things about the environment, but ultimately the, the, the net result of them having that belief is zero change. Well, also, you know, there is no, there is no, perfect understanding apart from involvement. Right. And, you know, I don't care what, what it is you're talking about. We, we oftentimes are, are concerned about having the perfect understanding before we then try to implement that perfect understanding into whatever category it is that we're approaching. But it's like, no, we have to give each other enough grace to understand that 98% of the learning and understanding comes through involvement. Yeah. which means mistakes, which means changing minds, which means um, changing directions and admitting mistakes and um, going about things in new ways based on those previous mistakes. But, but it seems like we aren't giving space for each other to do that because we're so captivated by the initial, the initial, um, vocabulary that we are using yeah ri risking incarnation is just that it is a risk like right. and and yeah it's fits and starts and doing it wrong and yeah it does it, there does have to be a kind of uh willingness to accept all the various ways that we screw it up and i guess that's why paul thought it was valuable to lead with you know the question or the thoughts of like you know, are your hearts tender and are, are your hearts compassion, you know, like just simply love to work together with one mind and one purpose. Um, like, because as we all work collectively to bring about the work of salvation, uniquely founded on, on Christ, of course, but, but as we then collectively work to continue this work of incarnation then 
we have to do so with these tools of of compassion and tenderheartedness and love and and all of these things because we fumble our way forward. Well, we talked about um, doing this at the end. We've, as a church, we've been doing these things on Tuesday nights um, called Lectio Divina. It's just Latin for like sacred reading. Um, and we read a passage several different times. There's periods of silence or several periods uh, of other, other things. It's a really important practice, my own life, and it's been neat to share it with the church. Um, but I, I wanted to read this at the end kind of through that lens and uh, you know, I, I won't read it multiple, multiple times, but I do want to just read it a little bit slower and would ask that, you know, if you're listening to this, maybe just stop cleaning for a second or if uh, don't stop driving right now, cause that wouldn't, that probably wouldn't be good, but um, maybe just try to listen to this with new ears and uh, I'll read this one more time. And then, um, and then I'll just pray for us. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 13. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him, gave him the name that's above every name, so that, the, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God, help us to model ourselves um, in the pattern of Jesus. Help us to empty ourselves. Help us to become nothing. Help us to take on the form of slaves. Help us to um, die to ourselves, our egos, and uh, to live in ways that are more faithful. Help us to do the work. Help us not to care so much about how we talk about the work, all the all the theological underpinnings of the work and all of that, Lord, help us to just do the work that you've called us to do, that you set out for us to do. God, give us eyes and ears to see and hear, and then the courage to do all the things that you would have for us, Lord. We, uh, we just want to be about your work, and um, we want to change the world in the ways that it needs to be changed, and uh, live in ways that are faithful and full of love 
full of the Spirit. And um, yeah, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.